really sucks. A lollipop. Fairy sucks a lollipop. Welcome to So Many Wrong Notes. This is part two of our teaching conversation where we start talking about favoritism. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to part one and then join us here. Thanks. But I do find it fun to find always something good about their playing. You know, finding something unique to say about their playing. I do want every kid to feel like they're getting like the right amount yeah. of attention. Me um, too. But sometimes you just naturally give attention more to one than than others. Yeah, I think I would feel horrible if somebody was noticing that I yeah. had favorites and they felt neglected. See, yeah. this is what I'm worried about. Because again, you're with a bunch of kids, mm-hmm. in my experience, you're with a bunch of kids and you're basically on the clock 24 hours a day because yeah. you see them from morning till night, right, until they go to bed. And naturally, you just find some, some kids who are just kind of... <laughs> Yeah, I had that like, experience last year, actually, yeah. yeah. Who, who, who just either are more approachable or they approach you more, yeah. and you just happen to like them as people, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know, what is your strategy? Because you actually probably have to deal with more annoying personalities than I do. I think my strategy for dealing with annoying personalities is trying to understand why they are the way they are. Yeah. And I can honestly say... You empathize. Yeah, you empathize. And I can honestly say that even though I've definitely had my favorite students, I've really loved all of them, save one. I think I've only hated one. Wow, you can count the one. Yeah. That's impressive. Because I won't go into why. Okay. But everybody would agree with the one that I hated. The problem student. Yeah. Yeah. Um... That I can honestly say that I loved them all, mm-hmm. and they really have a lot to offer. It's just that I happen to just gravitate to people that are just more talkative or just, I don't know, they're just personality yeah. level. Like uh, sometimes our people. personalities just click. Yeah. Or sometimes, like last year, there were there was a kid who was having some trouble that I was also having trouble with and we just had like really good long talks which is great yeah how to deal with that but and in a way we got closer because of that yeah he was actually a horrible student in the classroom yeah i would yell at him all the time Mm -hmm. in terms of behavior but as just as a human being yeah i think he's a great guy you Mm -hmm. know so it's just it's just things like that and this is sort of why i started with the question of where do you draw the line? And I feel like oh. it's hard, especially in that sort of camp setting. It's really hard. Where you are basically their surrogate parent. Yeah, I remember a lot of times where I would just stay late and talk to people if they have problems. Yeah. If anyone needs that, you you, you do it. I yeah. don't know, like, I'm worried about them. Yeah, but then it's just like, how much of it is you taking on someone else's problem? I think... I think that's a that's a really good question. That's a larger question. It is me. a larger question. I mean, I just um, I don't know that line yet. Yeah. I mean, for me, last year I felt like I got too involved. Okay. At the place that I was teaching. What made you feel that way? And I think 
I couldn't quite understand why, yeah. but it was, I think I sort of understand now, uh -huh. which is, it was the year before I went to Juilliard. It was the summer before I went to Juilliard, and I was freaked out. I see, yeah. Right? And I saw these kids with certain problems, Yeah. and I felt like I could fix those. Oh, so yeah. So I like, kind of like clawed on, Yeah. right? And I think I was helpful, but sometimes I think I was just too clawed on because I was just yeah. using them to avoid thinking dealing, about thinking about myself. Yeah, I've had that experience yeah, too. Yeah, and I feel like that's sort of a failing as a teacher uh, for me. I wouldn't say it's a failing, not s it's so much as a learning experience. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you're trying to fix a problem that maybe you shouldn't fix, yeah. or if a student doesn't really want fixed, but they uh -huh. want an ear to talk to, you're still helping. You, you know, it's just not... It's the expectation thing again. Yeah. Like, you have a certain way you expect them to progress yeah. as a person if you're trying to fix a problem. That's right, yeah. Um, and I think that you're right in saying that any expectation we have, we should not apply to every different That's student. That's right, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I have trouble with that, too, because yeah. with with Scott even I just Scott, I want my boyfriend I just I want to fix things yeah and um, if I cannot offer a ready solution that's actionable I worry about it constantly uh -huh. so that that's something that I don't know the answer to yeah I mean I don't know the answer to either I, that's why I'm asking but you. I know a little more after articulating it to you so yeah this is helpful this is great yeah um, but back to like problem students like okay. I try to empathize with them and yeah. especially if they're younger and then you meet their parents, yeah. that can also explain a lot. Oh, totally. Yeah. Or also, the camp that I've been working at is a great place because it's so accepting of everyone. Yeah. It's really like... Because what is it called? It's called Friends Music Camp. And thank you for crinkling your I, cereal. I saw that the cereal bag was open the and camp. I didn't want stale cereal. Yeah. I tried to do it softly, but it's impossible. But it's, of course it's impossible. Did you so hear you at the beginning of the concert today? Some old lady was crinkling no, I didn't for a hear while it. at the Mozart, and I purposely forced myself not to look over there. Oh, uh, I didn't. Like, I don't want to sit. I no. didn't hear. I didn't hear. Oh, maybe only I heard. Maybe. Anyway, it's such an accepting community there at Friends Music Camp. Yes. That a lot of kids who may not have the best school experience uh -huh. really come out of their shell. And yeah. like really become themselves. It's that's like my favorite part of that job. It's yeah. like seeing the kid walk in on her first day, mm -hmm. and then after two days, she's a completely different He's a person. Heart. Huh? He's a heart. Whatever. Why did you have to gender it? Well, I chose the female gender, just what, to be different. What? Because we made a special thing. No! Oh my God! That just <laughs> ruined my little heartwarming story. By the way. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, and I said she because I had a particular camper in mind that I didn't want to say the name of. Yeah, so I wanted to make it more general. But yeah. now I was making it general before you fucking pointed that out. Well, everyone's gonna be like, "Why is it just a her?" It's not just a. It's the fucking example. I got. I got afraid to yell. This is my goal in life right now. <laughs> Because anyway. he was like just so calm. He's always so calm, and it's just like <laughs> modulate your voice, man. Like. Kidding. Anyway, yeah. my favorite part is seeing one kid walk in yeah. one way, uh -huh. and they're very quiet or very reserved, or you can see that they're on guard, yeah, because they're used to being on guard. 
Yeah. And then two days later, they've just oh, it's the best. It really is. Up yeah. In, in in a great way, and it's not like they're being louder and more obnoxious. Because no. yes, they are being louder and more obnoxious, but in a way that's like unique to them. In a way that they feel so comfortable with themselves to that's be the able thing. to do it. Yeah. And that's my favorite part. And that's how you. That's sort of where the empathy thing comes in. Mm-hmm. It's like there is an underlying reason why. Yeah. Someone is behaving the way they're behaving. And I think it's important for a teacher to understand that. That it, it's there. That there is a reason. But also, I feel like I'm learning more and more that I am not a trained psychologist or therapist. Mm-hmm. That there are certain issues that I can't fix. And there are certain issues that I shouldn't care about, in a way. Right? Uh, yeah. I mean, issues that you know is not beneficial to care about, to worry over, maybe. Is that what you mean by worrying over? Or even, like, to, yeah, to worry over, to try to fix. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to listen and empathize and give some advice, let's say, about relationships. Right. But then to just worry about the students' relationships. Yeah, they don't want the burden of having you worry. Yeah. They just want either an ear to talk to, are somebody who listens that isn't somebody forming judgment. Yeah. Something that's all they need. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really good point about making sure you know every student has their personality exactly. that's waiting to come out because yeah. um, really easy for anybody, especially teachers who have a lot of students, yeah. to form snap judgment. Yeah. And to know when to not get too involved. Yeah. I think that's like the big thing. I think the lesson that we've taken away <laughs> from this conversation, at least so far, let's uh-huh. just summarize it, is to, is I think we've sort of talked about what good teaching is. Mm-hmm. And f- I think really for both of us is giving you the right techniques to play what you hear. Yeah. And in a way that that's really the best. And a teacher gives you the tools to play the yeah. instrument. Yeah, yeah. And so that's really what it is. So that you can play what you hear. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, me, Susie down the road, you know. Yeah. Clay up in the mountains. I'm trying to think of southern names. There is a clay up in the mountains. Really? Yeah. I, I knew it. She's the daughter of one of our mm. board members. Barrett. <laughs> I've never met a Barrow. I don't know. Covington. You're making up that name. I'm totally making up that name. I like the name Barrow, though. Barrow is a good name. Yeah. Um, but it's just catering your lesson plan to the student to give them the tools yeah. to, to play the instrument. This is on a generic level, yes. Yeah. Um, do, you, do we want to get into more specifics? Let's get into more specifics. Well, first college professor of piano in addition to giving people the toolbox to being a good musician in this day and age you have to have a really good set of tools career-wise like you have to be able to network for them maybe Mm -hmm. or um, think of opportunities for your students like a good teacher can teach you to be a good violinist but in order to make it in music you need more yeah Um, and there's been a lot of instances of teachers who just teach and they don't provide anything else and um, those students are lost because you need someone to teach you how to navigate the world. Yeah, that's true. I guess I was thinking more in, not in the in, pure sense. In the pure sense, not in the practical sense, but yeah. more sort of abstract. 
Because you're totally right. A teacher should be able to... I just to, had wanted to add that in a long time. Uh, yeah. That a teacher ideally would not only give you the toolbox for how to play the instrument, but also give you a toolbox for how to be a successful mu musician. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of our podcast is things are changing so much now. Yeah. That nobody knows how to think or how to do things anymore. Yeah, I think that's sort of sad. And this is why I want to talk about teaching and just reflect on my own teaching is how many students do I see who just ape their teacher? And how many oh, yeah. teachers teach themselves? The teach, sins of the father? Yeah, the yeah. sins, they pass down these sins. And it's not even a technical thing. It's like musical traditions, for example. Saying, if I were to bring in the Beethoven Violin Concerto, and there's so many teachers who teach it the way they play it, yeah, and everything is wrong, if they don't, if it doesn't match what they play. Yeah. Right? And there are tons of teachers out there like that. Versus teachers who encourage exploration. But they encourage exploration in a, in, in a limit. Mm -hmm. Because there's a way of playing the instrument that is just correct. Logical. Logical. Yeah, I wouldn't say correct, but yeah, just like logical makes sense. Yeah, is, logical is a better word. Won't give you an injury. Well, and it will allow you to do a lot of things. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's the main thing is that the use of the word right and wrong yeah. should be abolished from a teacher's vocabulary. That's right. Obviously, it's natural for a teacher to teach a piece the way they had played it mm -hmm. because that's what they believe. But to also say to the student, this is not the correct or wrong way. Yeah. This is just my way. I find it convincing because of this. Yeah. And have reasons for every musical decision you make. That's right. Well, I mean, I don't want to give musical decision. So this past summer, I taught piano finally for mm -hmm. during the camp um, after like a four-year break of teaching piano. Oh, really? That long? Yeah. I was conducting the choir and doing a whole lot of other things. Okay. But I just had four piano students, and I had some really talented piano students, um, early high school, middle school age kids. Mm. Really, really talented. I have to say that again. And I tried to be as neutral as possible when it came to musical decisions. Instead of saying, hey, you should get louder here, the only times where I would say, you should get louder here, or why does it make sense to get louder here, is because there's a freaking indication, crescendo, right. that they're ignoring. Yeah. Right? It's things like that. But I would always talk to them first about what they were thinking about the piece. So, I was teaching this student the C-sharp minor prelude. Uh-huh. And first... How does that go again? Ba, ba, ba. I will say, it never fails. Anytime somebody wants to do a Rachmaninoff prelude, it's that one. Yeah. It's also the, probably the easiest one. It is. Yeah. And I remember my teacher, I was picking out Rachmaninoff pieces, and she's like, Yeah, you can, you can pick any prelude except for that one. Huh. I mean, it is the easiest one, and it's also nice because it sounds so impressive if you play it right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, they played it for me, and it was timid. And it was timid not only because they were kind of shy, mm -hmm. but also timid because I saw tension in the shoulders. Like, she, they weren't using right. any weight. So it started with just a pure technical, hey, how does your body feel? Can you feel your shoulders relaxing? Can you feel weight into, 
into the keys, yeah. you know? And it opened up her sound more, but it didn't really have emotional impact. In she a wasn't way. connected to it yet. Yeah. yeah, they weren't connected to it. So we finally sort of, t I felt like I needed to talk about interpretation. Mm -hmm. And I actually used a quote of C.P. Bach. I had a whiteboard in my studio, so I wrote my favorite C.P. Bach quote, which I meant to say to the fellows, but I forgot in, my, in my talk, which is, a musician cannot move others unless he too is moved. That's a good quote. Yeah. It's very worthwhile. So I wrote that on the board, mm -hmm. and I said, okay, I really believe this. So now it's up to us to figure out what this piece is about. Right. So tell me, what is the emotional um, affect? I didn't use the word affect. I said, what, what, what emotion do you want to portray? What here? story? What yeah, what story? And they said anger. Oh. And I'm like, okay. So now we have this physical thing that we've fixed. Yeah. Show me anger. Yeah. And I remember she played it in a student recital twice. Oh. And the first recital... Because one, she just played it for the camp community, and the second time she played it for like parents who came. I remember s hearing her first performance, and those three notes, like I was smacked in the face. Great. <laughs> right? That's awesome. And it was just a lot of this kind of, I felt it was because their ears were so good. Yeah. They knew what they wanted. Yeah. They were just struggling to figure out how to, how to do it. Yeah. And so... I, I feel like sort of that taught me a lot that taught me a lot about how to teach yeah is how to teach not only just the tools for doing something but also getting the student to think about higher level things I guess that for me I was confused when you initially brought up that separation because yeah. it's not a separation for me whenever somebody brings up an interpretation or you know it's, yeah. it's, it's not separate like you're teaching them the tools for me include that yeah, I mean, the yeah. tools include that. Yeah, I, I think so. But there's a certain point I feel like, one, you're just learning how to play the instrument. Mm -hmm. And then two, you're just learning about music. And I feel like the highest level is then making your own musical decisions. Right. At least that's true for me. Uh -huh. That's m definitely true of my experience. Right. I think I did the steps out of order <laughs> because I didn't really learn how to play the instrument until I was older. Which is Which a is unique fine. experience that I think is great, yeah. actually, because um, maybe you're better off for it. Yeah. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But, I mean, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Like, there are things that, because we teach chamber music here, so yeah. we're, we're chamber music coaches, we work with each group, there are basic things that they have to have right mm -hmm. as an ensemble. Um, how do you listen? That kind of thing. Versus, you can talk about, oh, what this piece is about and what you're trying to portray. But if you're not together, that's all the audience is going to hear. So yeah, you have to fix those like things first. Um, but I think a good teacher is able to talk about things that will excite the students in a way that is also attacking those fundamental issues. Yeah. And then letting the student figure out the meaning for themselves of the piece that they're playing. Yeah. And that's sort of, I think, my ideal teaching. Right. My ideal teacher and how I hope to you want teach. To be. Yeah, yeah, and I think you and I are not people who like to be dictators. No. Um, because that, that really isn't fun. Although, to be honest, I conducted choir 
and you kind of have oh, to be different. a good kicker. But it's also just fun to be a dictator in that context. Oh, but okay. It, I haven't had that experience. I don't know. It's fun to be a dictator in that context because I feel like they learn how I'm thinking in a way. I see. That I'm taking time here, and I usually explain why I want to take time here. Right. Right. And this is what my level of musical thinking that led me to that decision. Yeah. And you have no control over that because, hey, <laughs> I'm conducting the but show. But you're still teaching them because you're explaining. Yeah, no, yeah. I know. So that's sort of what I mean by how, yeah, uh, yeah. how it's fun to be a dictator. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing I love most about teaching Yeah. is um, knowing why you do something. And yeah. you don't often articulate it. So no. I feel like being a teacher... And getting better at it over the years has exactly. made me a better pianist, yeah. better at practicing, better Absolutely. at everything. Yeah. yeah. And it's made me just a better musician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it makes me think about some of the decisions that I'm making. Yeah. Like, to the point where now I need, I can, I feel the need to justify almost every musical just decision that I make. Yeah. So that if I were to teach it, I would say, this is why I did it. Mm -hmm. But then that also shows the student you need to be thinking this way. Yeah. And I guess ultimately the best way to wrap up the episode, at least for me, okay. is to, I think the sign of a good teacher is you're teaching how to think mm -hmm. rather than yeah. be an ape. Yeah, I mean, yeah, some students learn better by example. There are some people who do, but in general... But the whole point of teaching is exactly. to teach someone how to think. But even someone who's aping, you can shape them to think in a certain way, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, or, or you can model independent thinking. You can model independent thinking, yeah. but you can also... Another technique that I've used is... <laughs> what? This was one of those teaching moments where you say something that can be misconstrued. I told my students, imagine there's a little Francis inside you. I meant inside your head, but it just came out that way. They, they're Use completely the over-the-shoulder thing, not inside you. I meant to say inside your head, but they're completely innocent. They didn't catch it, and if, okay. you, don't, if you don't say it, if you don't acknowledge it, they're, they're completely yeah, oblivious. You just made it awkward, though. That's well, what you I, do best. I made it awkward for us, hopefully not for them. Eh. Anyway. You can think what you want. You can think what you want. Anyway, I say imagine that there's a Francis over your shoulder. <laughs> you didn't say that, but okay. Imagine there's a Francis over your shoulder. Mm -hmm. What would this Francis say? And I would actually have lessons where for 10 minutes I would have the kid analyze what Francis would say. Those are fun too. Yeah. yeah. I definitely like doing that. I like going through the practice techniques. Exactly. Of like what was wrong. Just like I don't want to tell you you tell me what exactly you think you can yeah do. those are great those yeah. are great but it then gets them even the apers then yeah sort of think like they think they're thinking like you but they're thinking like them yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely so i mean yeah it's a, it's a sign of a good teacher when you're happy they succeed and they yeah. fly and do their own exactly thing. yeah i mean i i actually really love teaching but i don't do it a lot because i don't have to mm -hmm. um and it's funny, I remember going to do a master class and, you know, we do these master classes at Chamber Coaches, but this time it was just a piano master class and everyone was sitting in and she was like, oh, she was surprised. 
you know, because people don't expect performers to be teachers. Yeah. But I think you're a better performer if you're a good teacher. I think so, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can overthink it, maybe. Or you can just not have the time to practice, which That's I think right. is what I'm afraid of. Yeah, yeah. Because I do have the problem of not being able to have a boundary. And it's, it's fun for me, so I get really energized. Mm -hmm. And perhaps it's a lot of energy. It might be a, a bit much for people. But it's uh, it's not something I could keep up for like twenty students. That's right. You know? Yeah, I'd be too drained to practice on my own. So I guess that is the answer to your initial question: was drawing that line. I think it's it's something I've already drawn. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, okay. I'd be teaching all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, what are you obsessed with? I oh, you know what? I haven't talked about my cardboard shit. Oh yeah, you haven't. Yeah, I'm obsessed. I've been obsessed. Like, really obsessed with making stuff out of cardboard. Like, it's so much it fun. It's pretty impressive. Uh, she is sitting, Jeanette is sitting on a throne that she made out of cardboard. Her office chair is now a, a cardboard chair that she made. It's a bookshelf armchair. It's, it is, and it's really sturdy. If you can hear that tapping. It's really sturdy. I can even sit on yeah, it. Yeah, you sit on it. And I weigh like 250,000 pounds more than Jeanette it? does. What? So. Okay. But yeah, you are obsessed with this. I went to your house and it's yeah. full of cardboard. Oh, that's right. You saw how everything's full of cardboard. I even tried to clean up a bit, but it's it's hard. Yeah. There's a lot of cardboard. What do you like so much about this I like the, the, the tactile. I don't know. There's something about like just doing something with your hands. And then it, it's sort of creative, but it's not like... It, it's kind of mindless too. You just kind of do repetitive tasks to get a thing and then you design something and you make sure you have to think about it but it's not too much thinking. Mm -hmm. And it's perfect because I put on like an audiobook or a podcast. On my days off, I could easily go all day doing that. I forget to eat. It's just, <laughs> it's easy to just get lost in it. It's like doing That's a puzzle. Right. Yeah, which there is a ginormous puzzle in the Garth Newell office yeah. of themselves. I didn't choose that. I just want to point out that they're doing a puzzle of themselves. I know, it's a bit embarrassing. Also, huh? he chose the worst picture. This is, yeah, the, the worst cellist. picture. Anyway. <laughs> Why is it so bad? Because it's all green. It is. It's all green. It's a, uh, you can probably see this picture if you go to the Garth Newell website. Oh yeah, I'll it's, be posting uh, updates. Yeah. It's, um, but the initial picture is of the Garth Newell Piano Quartet. Um, in this beautiful green background, standing in beautiful green Virginia, I'm, I'm assuming. Very green. There's leaves and there's and grass. There's leaves and there's grass. And it's just four little people against Two Asians. Two Asians, two gringos. <laughs> gringos! Against a green, We're not Mexican, completely so green backdrop. So it's nothing but green. So... That's what the puzzle is behind us. They all look the same. They are, all the pieces do look the same, and I haven't even attempted to try it. But if you want to look at it, it's Garth Neal Piano Quartet at Facebook, not on our website, because it's a little narcissistic. Well, I was talking about the initial picture. Oh, yeah, picture. that's all in our publicity yes. crap. Which is funny that it is, because it was before I started working here. Whatever. Yeah, it suffices. Yeah, it suffices. Yeah. Anyways. Anyway. What are you obsessed with? That's a very good question. Mm. I thought you thought about it. I didn't. You decided to, <laughs> to talk about 
the puzzle instead. I know. To give friends time, I'm going to say I've been very excited that I got my first cardboard furniture order. That's right. Yeah. And so I'm making a wine rack. I saw it in progress. Yeah. I didn't ask for your opinion because I was a little scared. It, was, it looked very nice. <laughs> it was actually very nice. But you and know, I just noticed that your um, cardboard letter holder thing became... Okay, go go ahead. You're ready to talk? Ask me the question, though. Okay, what are you obsessed with? <laughs> you sound so angry. I'm not angry. <laughs> well, Franny, <laughs> and what is your obsession? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you! I think I can safely say <laughs> I'm currently obsessed with making Jeanette feel uncomfortable. I'm not uncomfortable. I just annoying. can't do anything right. <laughs> <laughs> we got a Franny laugh in there. Life is complete. Uh, I think that's my obsession. Uh, I know it's a cop out, but I'm not, I can't really think of anything right You're now. You're reading Tess the Uber Uberville's. I'm reading Tess of the Durbervilles. The Hooperville, <laughs> the Tess who drives around yes, free cars. Yes. Um, how do you like it? I'm liking it. How I've far are you in? I'm still at the beginning. Nothing's really happened. So you didn't really make progress yesterday. Yeah. Okay. But it's a good book. But that's sort of my general obsession with 19th century literature, which I didn't like until I started liking it. I like 19th century literature. I, I just didn't like that book. I never liked 19th century literature. Too turgid. Yeah, it was just too verbose. I like too descriptive. Turgid. Yeah, turgid is a good word. It's my favorite. And then something happened. I picked up Oliver Twist randomly uh-huh. at the library, I think. And I started reading it. And it just... I don't know. What I thought was boring before was really delightful. So, the Tess of the Durbervilles and Thomas Hardy 19th century literature. That's sort of what I'm obsessed with. You know, I agree. Thomas Hardy with the full lips and the Batman pretty sexy. Apparently you just gave me a stink face. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram, So Many Wrong Notes. And there's also our website, which is so many wrong notes.com. And if you've been listening to us, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, please. I'm not quite sure how many people listen to us. I know there's one guy. So far, we I think we have one Hi, regular Savier. listener. Hi, Savier. You're awesome. And, uh, Although he's recently been telling me that he hasn't been listening as much. I don't like you anymore. But he said he's going to try to catch up. Okay, I like you again. And hey, he's our only listener, so let's be nice to let's him. Let's not alienate the community. Yeah. yeah, I personally want to know what you guys would like us to record. And I'd love to hear your ideas. Just send us a message on Facebook. Yeah, or leave us a comment. Mm-hmm. Or DM us on Twitter, I guess. That's right, yeah. I never used the DM function. Me neither. But you can do that. Or Instagram. Do that. Or, yeah, or DM us on Instagram. We're everywhere. Except Snapchat. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know how to do that. I sort of do, but whatever. You're more hip than me. I know. Even though you're older. I know. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Till later. Till later. Bye. We don't have a good sign-off, do we?